I need a volunteer. You? Come over here, please. Distribute. Yes. Thank you. When Ian asked me a couple of weeks back, he mentioned about Abraham, grace, new covenant. But for us, when I say us, Doris, and quite a few other people as well, um, who've known me, known us, it's, it's been a walk for us, uh, quite a long walk of discovery, of understanding, of finding new things. But again, it's it just seeking after truth. Everything has to do with the truth, and Jesus is truth. And the question always comes back, were we willing to unlearn something that was false or not quite right in order to learn something that is right? So we've been in this process for quite a few years now, like I said, and it's been marvelous. Let's put it this way, it's marvelous. Because we are able to understand far better God, His scriptures, and one another, how to relate to one another. So that helps. And one thing that those of people that know me will, will relate to this, because I keep insisting on that. Everywhere I talk or I speak with people, who were the recipients of the scriptures? The letters to the Colossians. The letters to the Colossians is written to whom? To you or to the people 2,000 years ago in Colossae? Oh, them. The Jewish scriptures were given to whom? The Jews. What did they understand? And we've been, I've been seeking that for years and years, and I read extensively. And to me, is to adopt the understanding that they had then to apply it to what I read. If I can put myself in their shoes, then I can get an understanding of what I'm reading a lot better instead of coming up with some weird teaching like we've heard over the years. So, and I use only the scriptures as well. So even, I was just listening to somebody of, uh, talking to Martin Luther this afternoon, and he said this, he says, when you go to Wittenberg, he says, in the church, you have the tomb of uh, Luther and Melanchthon is help, help me there. And it is written this, sola scriptura, sola fides, sola gracias. Scriptures alone, faith alone, and grace alone. And let the word interpret the word. We don't have to go outside the word in order to find interpretation. So that's one way I work. Uh, context is ex extremely important. So everything that we're going to be discussing for the next two weeks, don't be afraid to have this. You want you have questions? Write them down, please. We'll discuss them. Everything's going to be about the covenant. But in order to understand what Abraham, how it was fulfilled, I think that we should have a, a more of a foundation first of what covenants are, how they're established, uh, what are these covenants, how do they apply to us, in order to see how good the good, the new covenant is, 
and how great and how powerful. So when you read Romans and Hebrews afterward, and you say, wow, this thing is really something. So that's, that's why, that's my approach now. Um, and I want this purpose, the purpose that I have is to make you think, is there a way, a different way that I can read this and get something that I never saw before? Because he's the Holy Spirit, the spirit of revelation. He removes the veil. So that's my prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, that your word brings light. Everywhere we read it, that we meditate on it, that we, anything that we, we bring our mind back to you, your word brings light. And in you was life, and you were the light of the world. So we thank you, Lord, for the time we're going to have together, that you're going to have to, you will speak to the heart of the people that which they need to hear. And we just submit ourselves unto you right now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Greg Moore has a habit of reading a funny, as you know. So I have one, but it applies very, very much to what we're going to have here. It's a new pastor. An older preacher told the story of a younger minister interviewing for first pastorate. The pulpit committee had invited him to come over to their church for the interview. The committee chairman asked, son, do you know your Bible pretty good? The young minister says, oh yes, pretty good. The chairman says, which part of the Bible do you know best? He responded saying, I know the New Testament best. Which part of the New Testament do you know best? Asked the chairman. The young minister said, several parts. Chairman says, well, why don't you tell us about the story of the prodigal son? The young minister said, fine. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus who went down to Jericho by night, and he fell upon stony ground, and the thorns choked him after that. The next morning, Solomon and his wife, Gomorrah, came by and carried him down to the Ark of Moses to take care of. But as he was going through the eastern gate into the Ark, he cut his hair on a limb. And he hung there for 40 days and 40 nights. And afterwards he did hunger. And the ravens came and fed him. The next day, three wise men came by and carried him down to the boat dock, and he caught a ship to Nineveh. And when he got there, he found Delilah sitting on the wall. And he said, chunk her down, boys, chunk her down. And he said, how many times shall we chunk her down? Seven times till seven? And he said, no, nay, but 70 times sevens. And he chunked her down, seven, 490 times. And she burst asunder in the midst. And they picked up 12 baskets of the leftovers. And gentlemen, let me ask you, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be? <laughs> he got hired on the spot. So it's the, this, this exemplified the way of not reading, how to not read and understand the word, okay? So, okay, covenants. In your sheet, I, I'll give you some sheets if you wish to, to, to fill them up. It's going to help you because that's basically the order I'm following here, so. Five, five wrongs that we can walk through. The first one, the, the world of Adam. 
We've all been born in this world. We're all sons of Adam. We all came out of that. We were not born believers, born in the world. As a matter of fact, 1 John 2 says that he died not only for our sins, but for the sins of the world. So God already prepared that. So we all came out from that realm. Then we came to the church realm. Some of us were fortunate enough to be born, in, born again or approached by people that were charismatic. That helped us. But the church realm, you will have, this is where you read about, or you, you get trained into communion, baptism, um, how to, the foundational aspect of the Christian life. So that's your second realm. The third one, the supernatural. Somebody just tells you about um, Sid Roth. It's supernatural. The Elijahist. And he tells you, says, I mean, miracles today. You can, have, you can be healed. He says, what? That, ex that exists today? Because a whole segment of Christianity does not believe that the miracles are for today. That the gifts are for today. But when presented with that, it opens that door to their minds. <clears throat> so they start checking it out. And guess what? They get baptized in the Holy Spirit. They start receiving it. It's beautiful. They run from conference to conference to conference. You see those faces then. You don't see them because they're now, they have that in them established that, yes, it is for us today. So it, it leads you to the next one that I call the kingdom realm. That's when you say, just a sec, it's nice that they were, I mean, just Joe Blow got, got, got healed last weekend at, at, at the church, and it's, it's not a blessing club. This gathering is not a blessing club. This is when we start taking what we have now, absorb in our heart. And go outside, and you meet somebody at the store who's got a broken arm. You say, oh, would you mind me addressing this thing? And you speak over that, you pray over that, and that person, the pain goes, and it heals. You're taking the supernatural outside of the four walls of the church and applying to your everyday life. As a matter of fact, you've got some teaching from uh, Lance Wall now, The Seven Mountains. That you take it, it's in the media, it's in the church, it's in the arts, and you take it everywhere. And this is where most of us are. We're used to it, we apply it, we talk about it. But at the same time, it, do we really know how God the Father feels about us? Let's say you mess it up one day. You lose it. You scream at your wife, scream at your husband. You throw a temper tantrum. You say something nasty to somebody. How do you feel? How, how do you think? What, what's in you that says, uh, how's daddy thinking about me? Uh, do I pull away from him? Do I feel ashamed? Do, you don't know. You don't really know. Does he get? Does he lose his temper? Does he get mad? Does he sense earthquakes? Does he destroy country? 
those are things that can go in your mind. Because you're not quite established into that revelation of who, like you just, you were, you were testifying, established in that relation with the Father, that you can approach Him. Remember, we are, we are the bride. But the bride is, we have to understand what is a bride. What is the role of a bride? Some of you ladies know far more than we men do. You prepare yourself for that day, but, but it's, for, it's not just for that day. It's not just the wedding day. No, it's a marriage. I'm living with them. So we can do miracles. We heal people. But do we get a bit shaky as to how it feels about me sometimes? You know, just because we read the scriptures that says, uh, oh, uh, we've done miracles in your name. Depart from me, I never knew you. If we're not established, we read that scripture, we're going, hmm, never knowing exactly. what well, you know, but you, there's always that doubt. And I believe that the next realm that we're going to describe here, the, the, the realm of the covenants, helps tremendously to bring understanding to all these other realms. We, not that we leave the other realms. No, because it will help us to understand how to reach the first one as an Adam, because God had compassion on the world. None of them were saved. Yet he loved them, and they loved to be with him. So he brought them in. And the covenant realm, I believe, will really open our eyes to that. We are a new creation, but is that our identity? It's not that I want to split hair, but I just want, because sometimes we hear, my identity is in Christ, my, it, it, it's true, but at the same time, I am the righteousness of God, so are you. I am the holiness of God, so are you. Uh, I'm a priest, I'm a king, I'm a bride, I'm the bride, so, so are you. So what distinguishes us if we're all the same? That's my nature that I'm describing now. I receive, we've all received the nature of God, the divine nature of God. Peter says that. So what's my identity? Paul in Corinthians goes even further. He says, one is a hand, the other one is a foot, and the other one is this. And we must all function together in that body. Otherwise, if we'd all be the same, we'd be one giant eyeball. That's exactly what Paul said. So we have, what is that identity? What are your giftings? What is this, the purpose that you have? What is the calling that you have? That should, I believe that's more your identity. And we need to grow in both. Understanding of our nature and understanding of that identity. It's not one apart from the other. It's both. So, you have a Bible, I hope? Yes. <laughs> what's, what's this little Bible? Help me. Describe it. <coughs> what is it? Talk to me. Word of God. Word of God. It's a book that contains the Word of God. The written Word Yes. Very true. It's not the Word of God. Mm -hmm. Good distinction. So 
we have many. Yes, go ahead. The mind of Christ. The mind of Christ, it is, yeah. We have many different ways. There's an echo. Go, 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 go. Sorry. <laughs> we have many ways of describing this book. But how can we present it in a way to each for, for so that it makes sense to us, but it will make sense to others? I mean, to, to the, per, the people out there, the atheists, I work, I work with atheists. I work with agnostics. Uh, I mean, they're, they're from the whole spectrum. And we have some fun discussions at times, real fun discussions. But to them, it's a book. It has no, no value, no intrinsic value. Yeah, it is the Word of God. It is what records the Word of God. Uh, some people, they say, well, it's the book of the laws. There are 613 laws in the Old Testament. There's 1,050 laws in the New Testament. And the Holy Spirit helps us to follow all these laws. And I'm going, oh, man, it's not a book of laws. It doesn't fit with us. We, we know better. I used to say it's a book of love. I don't say that anymore. It does contain love. But if this love letter tells me I cannot eat uh, any shellfish, any lobsters, any bacon, what do we do with this love letter? So, well, to me, send it back. <laughs> but seriously, it contains all these things. But I'll give you a definition, and it's on your sheet, by the way, that I think fits better. It's a written record of God's covenantal journeys with mankind. Let me say that again. It's a written record of God's covenant, covenantal journeys with mankind. And it's a progressive record, if I may add. And it's already, I believe it's, it's in your sheet, page one, page two, whatever. You'll find it there. Because if we understand, if we see it slightly, you, you have it on your sheet, sir? I believe so. No, it's not? Okay. Did you get it? A written record of God, God's covenantal journeys with mankind. Find out, because it's going to help us to find out which covenant applies to you. Because covenant will define the relationship that you have. And when I say covenant, maybe a covenant that comes to your mind would be the marriage, the wedding. You're married, so you, you have a covenant with your, with your spouse. So you know how to relate because of that. So let's find out which one we believe we, we're in. Are we in Noah's covenant? Are we in Abraham's covenant? Are we in Moses' covenant? David's, Jesus, we need to find it out. And being... Sorry. It's the other way. Probably reverb. Is your reverb at all the way down? Okay. 
Okay, there's a net goal. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. Being righteous. And being righteous, God is always righteous toward us. He's always been righteous toward us. But being righteous, you can define it as being faithful to the covenant that you are in. God is righteous because he is faithful to the word that he has for you. He'll, he'll always remain faithful. God is always backs his covenant partner also, wherever you go. Think of, let me give you an example. Abraham goes out, he's got a hot wife. It's a real problem to have a hot wife. I know. So he goes out and he goes to see Pharaoh, and he lies to Pharaoh. He says, uh, she's my sister. Because he's afraid. He's afraid that he's going to get killed and the wife is going to go. The guy is a coward, and he's a liar. And he does that twice. Not once, twice. Two kings, King Amimelech and Pharaoh. And both times, the other people get punished. Pharaoh got punished, his household. Abimelech's household got punished. Who lied here? <coughs> Abraham. Oh, why did he get punished? See, we project our understanding that we have of the scriptures to that which the Abraham was living under. God made a covenant with Abraham. Did he tell him, you will not lie? Oh. Did he tell him, you will not speak evil about your wife? No. I will make you great. I'll make you, I'll establish you. I will... So that portion is not part of Abraham's covenant. And God is righteous, and he backs up his partner wherever he goes. He's backing up Abraham, not Pharaoh, not the other one. As a matter of fact, he says, he's a prophet, and he's going to pray for you in your household. <coughs> and he comes out with more money. But if we apply Moses' law to Abraham, he's a liar. But that's a different covenant. Abraham lived under a covenant that God established with him, and God was righteous toward him. It's, it, it sounds funny, but covenants works that way. Now we got the Bible. Very quick journey here. Um, I wrote an, a little line in there that says, do you feel guilty or a tinge of whatever, just when you read the Bible? There's an explanation for that. Okay. When did we get the Bible that we have today? Any ideas? The index of the Bible, the, the compilation of the New Testament, 396. For 400 years, they did not have a compilation called the Bible. Bible means books, by the way, plural. So it's a bunch of books that we put together. 405, first translation in Latin. Nearly a thousand years goes before the first one, John Wycliffe in England, 
Oxford in 1370, he puts the Bible from Latin into English into the common people language. For 1,000 years, this thing is locked down solid. Only the people who knew Latin, Greek, and Hebrew could read it and bring you what it says. By the way, the Pope is calling for a crusade to go to Jerusalem. The Bible says so. People can read it. It's in Latin. They could tell them whatever they want. They were free, and he did tell them whatever they wanted. 1370, Wycliffe writes it in English. Oh, by the way, the rate of literacy in 1370, 9%. One in ten knew how to read or write. So the rest of the people were just believed whatever they were told. Then it goes down to the uh, first Bible that is printed is in Germany, Martin Luther, 1522. It literally breaks open the doors of what we have today. It broke the back of the church, the absolute control of the church. Because now, the Bible was in the common people language, printed, not just copied by hand. Five years later, William Tyndale, the British fellow, puts the New Testament, the first translation from the Greek and the, the, the Hebrew into <coughs> English language. Again, Gutenberg Press, by the thousands, literacy is picking up. 17th centuries, you have people that write, are writing commentaries. Uh, um, Bible schools are founded. The, the pilgrims come to America. And they come with the scriptures in order because they wanted to flee away. One of the things they were doing was fleeing away the oppression in England, the control of the church that was oppressing them. They went to America with the Bible in order to have the freedom to worship and preach and declare the Word of God. And by the way, they did not come with the King James Bible. I don't know if you knew that. They came with the Geneva Bible. Because the King James, they called it the Anglican Bible versus the Catholic Bible. Very restrict. There were some restrictions there. So they came with the Geneva, which was supplanted afterwards by the King James. And that's why the Americans, the Americans still swear by King James. More Bibles are printed in King James language or translation in America than the rest of the world. I don't know why, but whatever. So now we're down 500 years since Luther. 2017 was the 500 years that we celebrated Luther. We have Bible schools galore. We have, in all the languages, thousands of translations. We have, where did I put it? Oh, against the post there, Strong's Concordance. Who's ever used one of those? A few people, good. You know, just stick it in the phone book. Every single word of the Bible is in there. It's fabulous. Today I have this. I find stuff in there so fast, so fast. It's incredible. But he spent decades 
decades roading this thing. And he's not alone. There's so many other tools that came around. And it helped us to understand tremendously, make it easier in order to understand what we had. So, that's great. But since 500 years now, since Luther, that the doors have been broken, do we understand the Bible? I don't think so. It's sad. With all the tools that we have, we should be able to grow far more. But yet you talk to the people at the church. They're biblically illiterate. Most people in churches have never read the Old Testament. I go to Bible study. It's Pentecostal. Two out of the 25 had read the Old Testament. Pentecostal. Born and raised there. And I'm going, ouch. This word should unlock stuff in us because it reveals Christ. And if we, it's nice to say, I, I know Christ, but if I don't know what it says about him in here, no good. But also, are we resistant to new information? Am I willing to be corrected? For correction brings life, Proverbs says. The reproof of correction brings life. So I have to be able to receive it, but I know in order to get it also. And to come back to that sentence that I wrote about the, the teach, <coughs> we teach the people and we train the people, you, gotta, you have to read the Bible daily. You have to study daily. You have to pray daily. You have to talk that Yes, it's good. I encourage people to do that. But if you don't do it one day, is there something go, oh, I, I didn't do my devotions. Oh, I'm Understand that we only have, the commons people only have a Bible in their hand for the last few generations, at most 200 years. They did not have the Bible before. And they had no tinge of not reading the Bible daily. It's not about what we read. I, in your notes, I left it there. We should grow in our understanding of what we read. And not just a repetition of readings with the same understanding. Meditate that one. Because this is what changed the way I look at things. We allowed the word to speak to us and tell us and teach us because the Holy Spirit is the guide, he's the teacher. So, so we should appropriate the Bible with the realization there's life in it and it's mine to do and to, to go and get. Somebody gets born again, you give him the Bible and you say, okay, now here's the Bible. Read it. He starts reading it. He gets, he goes to Genesis. It's neat. It's cool. Great story. The kings come. Oh, yeah, they're battle. Whoop. Comes to Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. They're rebuilding a city, Jerusalem, and the temple. When was it destroyed? No one. Carries on. Comes to Job, behemoth. 
Oh, Leviathan. What's a Leviathan? Don't know either. Carries on. Reads the song. Everything. Comes to the major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel. Thus says the Lord, we're going to destroy the city. He says, didn't I just read that, read that over there? Chronology is all over the place. It's a mess. Remember, you have no back. You, you're not Jewish. You're not living at that time. You don't have the understanding of their words. We even have enough problems with the King James Bible that it's not in English that we understand. Now let's go back 2,000 years. We're not living in their shoes. So he reads that it's a chronological mess. So if you feel that you feel you're reading the Old Testament of the Bible, so why I don't always get it, don't feel bad. I mean, it's, they put it in categories. The major prophet, that means the biggest books. That's all. That's what the major means. It's the thickest books. First, then the smallest book, the minor prophets. Where Esther fits after Zechariah. Nehemiah, Ezra fits after all the prophets. It's the fulfillment of all the prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem. They come back and rebuild it. That's where the chronology fits. But if you don't know that, if you don't study, not easy at all. And, and they don't help you either. These two bishops, two bishops, a French bishop and an Irish bishop, didn't added something that did not help us. Chapters and verses. It's easy for reference. It's easy to, let's turn to chapter 23, whatever. But, take the, the letter to the Romans. Seven out of the 16 chapters starts with, therefore, well, then. Those are <coughs> words and means in conclusion. The chapter starts in conclusion. I need to read what's before in order to understand what's there. I send you an email. The email's quite long. And you say, okay, I'll read two paragraphs today, two paragraphs tomorrow, two Wednesday, Thursday, and by Saturday, I will have read Paul's email. We don't do that. But yet we do that with the scriptures. Today I read Romans 1, Romans 2, tomorrow. Romans 3, Romans 4. So two and a half weeks later, I've read the book of Romans. Do I have the picture in my mind of what Romans is? No, I forgot what I read in the first day, second day. So we lose the pictures. They're letters. It's a letter written to a, a group of people. When they, let, when they read that letter, they sat down and they read the whole thing. And it's a lot easier. You get a better picture. So now, think of covenant as a bigger picture. The Bible is a big picture of different covenants and journey with man. So let's go to the image that you have there. All these covenants were historically and contextually understood by the people. Meaning this, those that lived in that time understood the language, 
and the idioms and the speeches and let me give you one. Jesus is on the way to the cross, falls to the ground. The ladies of Jerusalem are, are, are crying over him. And he says, if they've done that to the green tree, what will they do when it's dry? And we read this and we go next. Because we don't understand the idiom. It's a Hebrew idiom. Meaning that if they're doing this to one who is righteous, what will they do with the wicked? Oh. Not quite the same. But we don't live there. We don't have that, the background. You're more suited to understand it because you're from that region. So there's culture that is involved. <coughs> but the Bible is an Eastern mindset <coughs> book, not a Western book whatsoever. So we need to adopt that thing. So we have five major covenants And in the picture, you have the circle and covenant in the center and a bigger circle around. We have five canons. <coughs> I'll explain that a bit. But a covenant, it's a little a declaration, a little set of rules. Think of a marriage. I promise that I will be faithful. I promise rules that both of us engage in so we can agree upon and live and walk accordingly the journey of that covenant. Now, you have the covenant with Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and Jesus. Those are the five major covenants made with man. God involved with man. There's all kinds of covenants in the Old Testament. All kinds. David makes a covenant with Jonathan. Uh, this person makes a covenant of salt with that one. That means he takes a bit of salt in his pocket and mixes it in the bag of his friend, and friend does the same thing. He's simply, they're simply stating that I will be faithful to my word to you, and if I'm not, we have to separate our salt again to put in each other's bag, which you can do. So you have... Different things that are made, covenants that are made, but major ones, God intervening with man. Five of them are declared in the scriptures. Okay? Example. Noah. And let me read you the, what's the covenant as such. I establish my covenant with you, Genesis 9-11, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. If you read that like this, and you don't know what took place before, uh, why did you destroy it, Lord? You have to go back to Genesis 1-1 and find out about creation and man and man falling and the mess that starts coming. And that God at one point says, enough, cut, Flood. Flood comes, starts again. Then you have genealogies. Good. So it gives us an understanding. This is what a canon is. It's a, it's a body of literature giving us an understanding of what surrounds the covenant. And in that body of, of literature, you will have uh, the songs of the time. We call them songs. 
It's, it happens to be the Mosaic Covenant and the, the Cop Song. Uh, poetry, uh, genealogies, uh, the wars, different kings that fought. Everything that surrounds that covenant, they write it down. So it becomes the body of literature surrounding the covenant, explaining and giving us understanding of that covenant. Because, see, I, I, let me touch modern now. We see the division of the Bible as the New Testament and the Old Testament. Does the Bible see itself that way? Not quite. Not all the Old Testament is the Old Covenant. Not all the, old, the New Testament is the New Covenant. That sounds strange. But you will see. The Old Testament is, is made of four covenants with their canon. The New Testament is made of one covenant, one canon. So, how long, how many years before the old covenant was given? From creation. 2,800 years. The Old Testament has been running for 2,800 years. Then, Exodus comes. Exodus comes. And new, the old covenant is given. What we call the old, the covenant, the mosaic covenant is given. But you've got 2,800 years. And the old covenant is only for 1,400 years. Until Christ. Half the time. But when you read the Old Testament, you think it's all the old covenant. Because it's only the first book till chapter 19, Exodus 19. That's 2,800 years right there. But the rest of the Old Testament is 1,400 years. So it, it, it tends to play on our mind that, oh, this, is, this took a long time. Not really. So 2,800 years, 1,400 years. Half the time. So the three types of covenants... This is where it becomes, it starts becoming interesting here. The first one is a grant covenant. A grant means a gift. A greater king to a lesser king. He liberally gives unto that king. There are absolutely no rules imposed upon the lesser king. Um, no strings attached. An example of it in the scripture, in the book of Esther, you have the king that comes and he says, you can't sleep that night. And he says, oh, bring me the, the chronology. And they start reading to him. And yeah, Mordecai, the Jew, uh, dispelled uh, um, an attack against you. And uh, What did we do for Mordecai? Uh, nothing, my lord. Ah, great. And in the morning, Haman comes in. And he says, hey man, he says, tell me, he says, how can I bless this a person that has done this and this and this? And Amen thinks it's about him when he's talking about Mordecai. He says, that's great, Amen. He says, do what you just said, go get Mordecai. The king bestowed upon Mordecai something with no strings or no rules attached. That was a grant of the king. That's an example of it. The second one, 
the one we're familiar with, kinship, partnership. Marriage is a kinship. Those set of rules, two people come around, they get together, they agree on set of rules, and they implement it, and they describe, they write down, this is, okay, at the time when we got married, it was a beautiful day, uh, she came from Switzerland, I came from there, we met over the whole body of literature. We can talk about it because we have that covenant. And the last one, the one that you don't want to see, that used to be quite prevalent, vassal covenant, V-A-S-S-A-L, or suzerain. Suzerain means that a king that imposes. Uh, for instance, you have Braveheart, the movie. You've seen it? Actually, that's vassal. England invading Scotland, imposing on them taxes, killing the armies. All you got left is the handicapped, the old people, the women, and the kids. And you said, I could wipe you out. But I like taxes. I really like money, tribute. You're going to be paid so much for that. That's a vassal covenant. A greater king imposing upon a lesser one and demanding things. And all you can say is, Yes, you can say nothing else. So we have five major covenants, their canons, and the three types of covenants appear in the five covenants that we saw the picture of here. Five covenants, their canons, and the three types. The first one, Noah. What type of covenant would Noah's would be? We have three types, right? Grant, kinship, and vassal. So it's a grand covenant. That's good. What would be the canon, the body of literature from Genesis 1 to Genesis 11? It is the body of literature that explains Noah. Then Genesis 12 starts. And there was a man in Ur of the Chaldee. His name was Abram. We switched. The covenant has not started, but now the body of the story of Abram started. Genesis 12. The covenant is given in Genesis 15, Genesis 17, 21, and 22 for Abram. But the whole body, the canon, goes from Genesis 12 to Genesis 50. That speaks of Abraham and his family. Until they go to Egypt. Exodus starts. Moses. What type of covenant would Moses receive? Kinship. Yeah. yeah. And Abraham's is a type of covenant? It's a grant. It's a grant covenant. Genesis 12. To Genesis 50. No, Abraham is a grand covenant. God came to him. Okay, let's go with his covenant. He says, I'll make you a great nation. I, will, I have taken you from Ur in the Chaldee, and I've brought you here, and I've given you this land. This is the land of your possession. And to all the people, 
and I will I'll make you, I'll multiply you. I'm changing your name now from Abram to Abraham, from a nation to a father of many nations. I'm changing the name of your wife to the contentious one, Sarai, to the princess, Sarah. And she will have a son, and kings will come out of her. What does it demand of Abraham? Nothing. No rules. No, no strings attached. As a matter of fact, he says, Abraham kills some animals. Kills the animals. Splits them in two. And he prevents the birds from eating them. And terrible darkness, the scripture says, falls. And he falls asleep. Then God, in two manifestations, go through those animals back and forth. Back and forth. They're making, they're demonstrating a covenant, how the covenant is cut. We walk back to back, holding on to the arms of each other, and through the animals, and back and forth, declaring that if I'm unfaithful to this covenant, let it be unto me like this, these animals. So, Abraham as grand covenant. Moses, as we'll talk about Moses a bit later, but he has a kinship covenant. And the body of literature is basically from Exodus 19, 20 to the rest of the Old Testament. That's the canon that surrounds it. David. David is an exception in the Old Covenant. He's able to see the heart of the Father. And he's called a man after, God says, a man after my own heart. He's not like Moses, he's not like anybody else. <coughs> and he even sits in the temple crossing his legs. He's like, wow, nobody else could do it. He did it. He went in the tabernacle, he did that. Then in 2 Samuel 77, that's where you will find his covenant. And he says, Lord, I just finished my nice palace. Oh, beautiful. And I something. Oh, look. But you live in a tent. Mm. I'm going to build your house. Nathan, the prophet, happens to be there. He says, Whatever you have in your heart, you do. Then he goes to bed, and God speaks to Nathan at night and says, Go back and tell him he is not to build me a house. I'm just paraphrasing here. Nathan shows up the next day and he says, This is what God says. David? Oh. David, that's so nice. And you want to build me a house? I, I've never lived in a house made by man. No, it's, the heavens don't contain me. And you want to build me a house? Oh, that's so cute. Thank you. Thank you. But no, this is what I'll do for you. I'll build you a house. Not a physical house. But a destiny. A dynasty. A uh, he establishes him. He says, there will be a son who will sit on your throne forever. One of your loins. Oh, the promise of somebody that was to come, that was to sit on the throne of David. What's the promise made to Abraham? You will have a seed that will sit, that will be you. We have a seed, we have a son. They're grand covenant. Nothing is asked of David. 
there's no, unless you decide to send a soldier to the front and get him killed to sleep with his wife, will that cover Nothing like that. Does David mess up? Big time. But is it part of his covenant? No. He has a grant, he's given. Out of the Mosaic covenant of rules and law, he's given a grand covenant saying, I love your heart because you love my heart. From, if you look carefully, and you touched on that, uh, Matilda, when you were speaking, the Father from creation, the Father has been seeking to reestablish that connection with man all along. Jesus talks about it when he says, when he talks about the, uh, the prodigal son. It, I don't know why they call it the prodigal son. It's the story of the father. It's a beautiful story about the father, how he feels about us. Always wanted to reconnect with us. And that's what we see. And naturally, the last covenant with Jesus, what type of covenant would that be? A grant. 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 <coughs> and I will explain. Kinship would be of equals, I come to you, and we decide of rules. Jesus. Do you go to Jesus and negotiate your salvation? Or do you say, thank you for your salvation? It's given unto you. It's a grant. So what happened at Mount Sinai? This is now we're going to talk about Moses here. Let's check the time. 52. We're fine. God wants to make a grand covenant with Israel. They're at Mount Sinai. He's taken them out of Egypt. Well, if you read the, the Old Testament, you, you pretty well know the whole thing. They left Egypt. They left Pharaoh. The army is dead. The, 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 the Egyptian army is dead. They've been three months in the desert. They were complaining while they were in Egypt. Oh, Moses, don't talk to Pharaoh anymore. It's getting worse. Now we have to make our own trust. Moses, stop. We don't like you. We don't. But Moses keeps entreating because he's got the heart of God. He entreats upon Pharaoh, entreats upon the people. Now, they've been in the desert for three months. This is the third month there at the foot of Mount Sinai. They've been, let's use the term, they've been bitching about the food, about the water, the water of Meribah, contention. Uh, the water is bitter, Marah. It's all over. One complaint after another. It never stops. And God is upset with them. But still, he offers them, Exodus 19, verse 6, read it. It says, separate yourself, for I will make you a nation of priests in three days. What type of covenant is he offering them? A grant covenant, like everything else. Now, next chapters we read, and the Levites were the priests. What took place? What happened? Deuteronomy 30 will give you the answer on that one. Quite simple. Moses is telling them again, he says, remember when we were at the foot 
of the mountain. And God said, separate yourself. Fear gripped you. I'm paraphrasing what Deuteronomy 30 is saying. Fear gripped you. And you said, we've heard him speaking. We didn't die. But he's going to speak again. We might die. I mean, he might kill us. Therefore, it's not rational. Absolutely, totally irrational when you look at it. He spoke to us before we did not die. He will speak again, and we might die. I didn't get that. I don't know, but he got there. But what type? God spoke. Where, where did you spend the last few years? In Egypt? What were they? Slaves. Slaves. Did they work seven days a week? Yeah. Were they abused? Yeah. Their kids were killed. Um, it's an ongoing story here. It's awful. Who's the god of Egypt? Pharaoh. The priest. Nasty. Every time God speaks, somebody dies. Do you want to hear God speaking? Did they know God? They had heard God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This, they had that knowledge. God knew them, but they had no connection there. It was very, very distant. As a matter of fact, you can describe it as almost as an abused wife. <coughs> That's Israel. God, the lover, shows up. I love you with an everlasting love. I want you. You be my wife. And I'm Whoa, 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 whoa. You're coming too strong here. Back off, back off. You know, just uh, every time God spoke, mm, 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 back. And that's basically, it's, it's a very close relation to what's being, what you read in the text. And she says unto him, no, 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 no. I don't want to be a priest. Uh, uh, no way. That means talking to Having a direct relationship with you, that's what he's offering. What's a priest, by the way? One who has a direct relationship or direct access to God, who speaks to God. But there's never been a nation of priests before. It's totally unknown. There's no nation called priest. A priest does not, does not, does do no work. A priest doesn't go to war. A priest is supported by the people. The people fight for the priest. And God says, I'll make you a nation of priests. You shall all have direct relationship to me, with me. You will spend time with me. And I will give you this land. And they said, no. So he said, okay. They go the, the, the leaders go see Moses and says, hey, Mo, Mo, you go up and whatever he tells you, give us the rule, we'll do it. We'll both do it. Does God have rules for them? He has a grand covenant. He has no rules for them. So, he has now to create some rules. So, you want some rules? Okay. Ten rules. Deuteronomy 30 says that not that they were not attainable 
They could do them. They were easily done. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't sleep with your neighbor's wife. Oh, by the way, take a day off. Poor day. Take a day off. I'm not like Pharaoh. I'm not a god like Pharaoh. I'm totally different. Now remember, I know the covenant here that we have is not good, but remember Abraham? That's a grand covenant. I mean, he's your buddy. Okay, God relents. So it comes to Abraham, uh, Moses is about to die. When you have a covenant, two partners, if one dies, husband and wife, if one dies, what happens to covenant? It's dissolved. Now, Moses is on the verge of dying. God renegotiates. He doesn't wipe them out. He could have, because they've all been unfaithful. But he loves Caleb, he loves Joshua, he loves the young people. And he says, now, we will continue, but we're changing the rules. Deuteronomy. It's called Deuteronomy. Second laws. That's what the word means, Deuteronomy. Bless if you do this. Bless if you do this. Bless. Curse if you don't do it. Curse if you don't do it. Oh, the rules got nasty. It's now downgraded. They go from a kinship covenant to a vassal covenant. It's a downgrade. And when you look at David in there, who goes around that, find the heart of the Father, it's beautiful. But that's basically what the Old Covenant is at this point. It was never intended that he would have an ark, uh, uh, a tent of meetings, uh, sacrifices, uh, priesthood. They, they were to be a nation of priests. The call was a grand covenant. But they picked, now we'll be our equal. And it, it's a covenant. Okay, let's talk about the, the how covenant is made. King Ian, King Paul, we establish a covenant. We come together. We establish some rules. And we say, okay, this we will agree. You go to war, I have your back. I come and protect you. I go to war, you come and protect me. My people is your people. Your people is my people. And we agree on that. We're two kings. So we write it down on stones or whatever. We write the stories of the battles, our battles, because we're different kings. We write all that stuff. And we go back to our people. He presents it to his people. I present it to my people. I have a covenant with King Ian. I take my covenant. I go to my box. And I have a tent or building where I keep my box. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, you've seen the movie. Good. Good. So... But King Ian goes to his people. And he goes to the house of his God. And he puts his covenant in his own ark. The ark of the covenant is not something unique. Throughout the Middle East, every nation, every group had their own ark. You go to Egypt, to the, the, the museum in Cairo, 
And you'll have all kinds of arcs and pictures of arcs, different arcs all over the place. It's really, really neat. So it's nothing new. So what you read of the Old Testament is very common to the people of that place. Now, he presents it there. If he breaks his covenant, because he put it in the ark of his God, he is declaring, if I break the covenant, you, my God, come against me. Because he doesn't believe in my God. His people don't believe in my God. My people don't believe in his God. So I go and do the same thing. That is the normal establishment of a kinship covenant. Now, let's read the abnormal one. The old covenants. Are there two gods? No, there's only one. So Moses comes down with two tablets written on both sides, it says. Remember the movie? Roman numerals? I to them. <laughs> Egypt, you know, Roman numerals, real cute. So, nothing of the movie fits the reality. It's written on both sides, one to five, six to ten, but he's got both copies. Because he's taking one, his copy to put in his ark for his God. Does God have a God over him? Does he have an ark? No. Does he need a copy? No. Moses takes both copies down. That's what you read. But God now is, he, Moses puts it in the ark. Who is his God? The one he made a partner with. Who is his punisher? If I break this covenant, you punish me. Oh, the same. They've put God into a very strange situation to be the partner of a covenant and their punisher should they break the covenant. And he's obligated to defend them. The Canaanites come down in the desert trying to fight them and God, and it's not his heart. He wants to give them a grand covenant. They refused it. He goes down to kinship. He agrees with them. We'll go to kinship. I'll have your back. And the Canaanites come and says, Joshua, go. I'll protect you. But is that his will? No, that's not his heart. We read in 1 Corinthians that the law, the old covenant, put a veil upon God, upon the Father. Every time that the word is read, a veil, the word of Moses, Moses has read the law, a veil is upon their heart. It hides the heart of God, the Father, the one who made a covenant with them. And that is why it is so strange. You read the Old Testament and the world's asking, and I just can't reconcile that. Jesus, am the same God of the Old Testament? I read the Old Testament. Blood, gore, wars, everywhere. And Jesus, I can deal with Jesus with this. When you have that understanding that is part, he put himself into what they, she was willing, Israel, to give him. He agreed with it at a kinship, then a vassal government, uh, covenant, I should say. But he's obligated himself to defend her, to act that way. 
We don't follow. Let me ask you a question. Do we follow everything in the Bible? No, we don't. Because I was going to ask you a question. If we have to, how many Canaanites are we supposed to kill? Doesn't apply to me. Well, it's a trick question. All of them, okay? Fine. But because of our understanding, and this is what we're discussing, the understanding of which covenant you are in, you, you remain righteous. God is righteous within that covenant. So if the old covenant does not apply to me, because I am on a different covenant, do I follow the things that are in the old covenant? Do I take some of those things and bring them in my covenant? Remember, God is righteous. He is faithful to the covenant that he is in. So now let's go back to Moses. He is faithful to that covenant that he's in. He defends Israel. How did he want to give, how did he want to give them the land? I will send the hornets before you, and they will free the land. They will drive the people, not all at once, because you won't be able to occupy all the land. But little by little, I'll send the hornets. Were they meant to fight? No. God was going to fight for them. The grand covenant. The very covenant that was offered to, that was going to be offered to Israel are the same terms of the new covenant. And they said, no way, Jose. Keep it. Give me the rules. They fell in love with the rules. The rules are the veil that hides the Father. And they're following the rules, the veil, the veil, the veil, the veil. Can they understand the heart of the Father? They can't. Or it's very, very difficult. Some have, but it's very difficult. And now religion steps in there. I mean, they marred themselves for 40 years. Then you've got 1,400 years of really messing it up. And Jesus shows up. But now, let me ask you the question. And you will have to answer that to yourself. Are we taking stuff that doesn't belong to us and applying it today? And if we look at the scriptures, we say, well, the Old Testament is one, and the New Testament is that. Let me suggest a better division. The picture that you have, a division of five. When you start putting that into practice, okay, this belongs to Noah. Great, I can understand what Noah. I go to the next one, Abraham. Wow, this is what it is. When you come to the new covenant, you do the same thing. And you start understanding what has been done for us. But at the same time, you take, if you break them in five, and read them and get the understanding out of it. It will help you to understand better. Not to confuse what is what and where is what. 
Where do I belong? Because this is what it is. My, oops, sorry. Where do I walk in? Because God is faithful to that covenant. And he will act accordingly to me. And covenant defines, defines relationship. If I walk in both covenants, the old and the new, and I keep mixing my terms, how do I relate to God? I don't know. It's messed up. I will come, I'll be very legalistic. But I don't see Jesus legalistic whatsoever. So God in the old covenant is the punisher and the partner of Israel. And that explains an awful lot all the mess that we read. But the entreatment also of the prophets. Turn your heart back to me. Turn your heart. As a matter of fact, Moses, just, just before he dies, says, chapter 32, Deuteronomy, he says, I know that once I die, you will mess it up so badly. You will go a-whoring after all the gods of the land. You will, and he tells the future of Israel. Then he tells them, he says, but there will be one that will come. Who will, he says, he will send you out in exile. Then he will bring you back. Then he will circumcise your heart. Deuteronomy. Did he kick them up? Did he bring them back? Did he bring the person to circumcise their heart? Yes, Jesus. Stephen, he's telling the Sanhedrin, just about to be stoned. And he says, you stiff-necked people. It was about you that he prophesied to uncircumcised of heart. And he tells, he lets them have it. And they're saying, what are you saying? Jesus is the one who was to circumcise our heart. He took up stone and they killed him. The people of the New, the, the New Testament, at the beginning, the, those, the church, the early ecclesia, understood these things. But we're detached from it. So we need to really try to get the understanding that they had. And they understood covenant. But it is us also. If we understand the covenant, we understand the heart of the Father. Because what raises the veil over the heart? Christ. Corinthians says, Jesus Christ takes the veil off the heart. And that's what we'll talk about next week. That transition and what took place. <coughs> so, if you have questions or whatever and there's things that I probably didn't talk about but it is that's what the new covenant is about the unveiling of the heart of the father if we can only remember that it reveals the heart of the father that he wants relationship with every one of us and that's the only book that we have that the writer wants a personal relationship with every single reader. Beautiful that way. So, until next week, we will deal with how Jesus made it.
Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.